Welcome to Tashma. I'm Rabbi Avi Killip, and this is the podcast where you get to listen in on Hadar's Beit Midrash. This episode is a Tashma first. We get to listen to our Rosh Beit Midrash in Israel, Rabbi Nadav Berger, unpack some fascinating images from Shir Hashirim Rabbah, a book of Midrash on the Song of Songs. He ponders the possibility of intimacy with God and the commandments. My favorite image from this episode is a moment when the mitzvah of Shabbat is personified and comes to teach us directly. Let's listen. Today, we are going to read a, um, two sections of Midrash from a composition called Shira Shirim Rabbah. When it comes to uh, Midrash Agadah, Agadic Midrash, um, there is a period that is called the, the classical the classical midrash, which usually refers to a group of, of works that are that can be traced back to to Eretz Yisrael, uh, to the land of Israel around the fifth sixth century uh, AD, and so this is one of them. Maybe maybe uh, maybe a little later, but it kind of is one of those classic um, classical midrash agada, and it uh, since it's about Shira Shirim, it interprets the verses of Shira Shirim, Song of Songs. It many times connects those verses um, with the receiving of the Torah um, at Mount Sinai or some other uh, part of uh, the relationship between Israel and God. This, of course, is in accordance with the allegorical reading of Song of Songs as a love story, not just as we would suppose from reading it between uh, a man and a woman, but between uh, God and the assembly of Israel. So we are going to focus today on the second verse of Song of Songs, which in Hebrew is Yishakeni min shikot pihu ki tovim or in English, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. And we will think about the translation in one second and the Hebrew. But uh, so we're going to read two midrashic interpretations of this verse. As we read the verse, of course, it reads as a as a love story. Um, again, though, uh, the sages, Chazal, the rabbis understood this to be an allegory between between Hashem, between God, and the assembly of of Israel. And this will be expressed in the two sections we're about to read. Um, more than that, these. Uh, these sections of, of Midrash that we're going to read are going to assume that this verse is talking about a very specific moment. The moment is that of uh, receiving the commandments, perhaps specifically the Ten Commandments, at Mount Sinai. First of all, just take that in, how, how such a romantic line, right? Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, right, is now going to relate to the receiving of the law, right? The receiving of the commandments at Mount Sinai, which already gives you some sense of how one may possibly think of the law of the commandments, even in a romantic sense. I want to read the verse one more time and just note perhaps something grammatical that might that might play a role later on. As we read the Hebrew, yeah, Yishakeni, may he kiss me, mi nishikot pihu. Nishikot pihu, that is the kisses of his mouth. Mi, at the beginning, 
right? Supposedly we would translate that from, and then it would come out something like, let him kiss me from the kisses of his mouth, perhaps something like that. Um, grammatically, this is probably what we would call a partitive mem. What that means is it's, it's, it's a, even though we commonly translate me mean as from, yeah, like going from one place to another, taking from one place, uh, this may be, have a different grammatical role, which is um, to express taking some of a larger group, which is to say, in this case, let him kiss me, you know, give me some of the kisses of his mouth. All right. That's possibly one way to translate. That's the verse we're going to talk about. Again, we have to enter the mindset of the rabbis and understand that for them, this is talking about a moment in history between Am Yisrael and the Kadosh Baruch Hu and, uh, and God. And we're going to read the first section here. We'll just read it in English, but I'll, I'll probably comment every once in a while about um, how a certain expression is in the Hebrew. Uh, we're going to see two opinions here about what these kisses are. And the two opinions won't be very different, but I think they do express a very different notion of what it means to receive the commandments at Mount Sinai. And again, we're going to the understanding here is specifically that this refers to the receiving of the Ten Commandments. Okay. And in fact, we're going to hear about um, the utterance that comes out from God. Yeah, the utterance you see here in the English, you can see that. Right, we'll read that in one second. If you look in the Hebrew, you'll see the word dibur. Dibur, le daber, right? Daval, that's a word speaking, right? So that's why the translation here, utterance, is a good translation. But it also misses something, which is to say, um, how do we say Ten Commandments in Hebrew? Aseret yeah. hadibrot, right? And dibrot is a plural of diber or dibra. So literally, when we say commandments in Hebrew, it's, it's literally like utterances or words or spoken things. And so when this Midrash talks about dibul or utterance in the English, it's actually referring probably to just one of the Ten Commandments, that is. So the word utterance here is a, a commandment of the Ten Commandments. Okay, and that's important to understand what's going on here. So, all right, with that introduction... Let's jump in. Let's go ahead and read. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Rabbi Yochanan said, an angel would take the, the utterance. Okay, so I have to imagine the, the utterance here refers to one of the Ten Commandments. Right? How were the Ten Commandments given to the children of Israel? An angel would take the utterance, a commandment, from before the Holy Blessed One, the Kadosh Baruch Hu, each and every utterance, that is to say, each and every one of the commandments, and circulate them before each and every Israelite and say to him, do you accept this utterance upon yourself? There are, right now it goes, it goes ahead in details, right? There are such and such laws in it. There are such and such punishments right, in it, that is to say, involved with it. Uh, there are such and such decrees yeah, that uh, accompany it. And so many commandments and so many a fortiori inferences. All right, there's a, it's questionable if that's the best translation here. Uh, that refers to some things that can be learned out from this commandment or possibly uh, just other 
different uh, details of the law, okay? And there are such and such rewards in it, right? So, so we have a picture of an angel bringing the utterance, the commandment, the utterance of God, right? As it comes, he brings it out from before God and he takes the utterance, right? You can imagine him almost holding something and bring it in front of each and every one of B'nai Israel and detailing everything and asking each and every one, do you accept it? The Israelite would say to him, yes. The angel would then, would then say to him, do you accept the divinity of the Holy One, blessed be he? And he would say to him, yes, yes. Immediately he would kiss him on his mouth. That is what is written. You have been shown in order to know uh, that the Lord, uh, he is God by means of an agent. Okay, so let's understand this last interpretation here. This expresses, right, what was said in the book of Deuteronomy, you have been shown in order to know. In the Hebrew, you have been shown to know, right? So it's not just you knew or you've been taught, but you were shown by which you learned of the commandments, okay? So there is something indirect in the learning of the commandments, right? By the means of some intermediary or agent. Okay, so we have one opinion here, that of Rabbi Yochanan, that the teaching of each and every commandment, right? Was done by an angel bringing the commandment, yeah? And asking every one of the children of Israel, do you hear, hear the whole, you know, hear all the details of this commandment? Do you accept it upon you? Right? And then do you accept the divinity of the Kadosh Baruch Hu, the Blessed One, um, the Holy One, blessed be He upon you? And the answer, yes. So that's the way Rabbi Yochanan describes it. There's another position here. The rabbis say, that is to say, some unnamed yeah, rabbis that disagree with Rabbi Yochanan, they have a different description of how it worked. Okay, let's try and think what the difference is between the two. So here we go. The rabbis say the utterance itself would circulate bef before each and every Israelite and say to him, do you accept me upon yourself? There are such and such commandments in me. There are such and such laws in me. There are such and such punishments. Um, there are such and such decrees, there are such and such commandments, and there are such and such a fortiori inferences in me, there are such and such rewards in me. And he would say to it, yes, yes, immediately the utterance would kiss him on his mouth, and it would appear as a scholar and teach him the Torah. All right, um, this translation here may be unnecessary. In other words, the utterance would kiss him on his mouth and teach him, yeah, all of the Torah. That is what is written, lest you forget the matters that your eyes saw. Matters, now the word for matters here, this is significant. Yeah, the verse in Hebrew is, pen tishkach et hadvarim, lest you forget the dvarim. Right, so dvarim could be translated as matters. But you can again see there the root dalet bet reish, like dibur, right, like dibrot commandments, right, the utterance. So you could also understand this as, lest you forget the utterances, the 
the commandments that your eyes saw? How do your eyes see an utterance, a, a spoken thing? How can that be? Right? So how the so that's how it's interpreting this verse. Lest you forget the matter that your eyes saw matters, that is dvarim, utterances that your eyes saw. How the that is to say you saw how the utterance would speak to you. All right. So these are two interpretations as to how that moment of giving the commandments happened at Mount Sinai. Yeah. And how each and every one of uh, the Israelites received it. And what I would like to ask um, is what might be, what do you see as a significant difference between the two positions here? of Rabbi Yochanan and the rest of the rabbis. And perhaps also, if you can also relate to what do they nevertheless have in common that is interesting to you in this description um, of giving of the Torah. Okay, so either what you see in common here that seems interesting or significant to you, uh, or perhaps, yeah, what, what might be some significant differences between these two positions? The first one needs an intermediary between God and the people. There's an angel in there. Right. The right. second one does not have that. The words themselves, the words that come directly from God. So I, I agree. I think that's a very significant uh, difference here between the two positions, right? So according to Rabbi Yochanan, we have some sort of um, a messenger, right, um, that brings the utterance to. Uh, the people, right? While in the second position, the utterance itself comes and stands before each and every one of the children of Israel. But also, if we're talking about the Ten Commandments, how does this square with the notion of the of the Torah, where the people heard what the first two, and then they couldn't handle any more, and then Moshe was the intermediary to tell us the rest? Good. Good. So two things I have to say. One, the Torah does not say that exactly, right? If you go back to the verses, you'll see that the, uh, the statement that Bnei Israel say to Moshe, right? Uh, may, may, right, please you, you go to the Lord and, and we'll get it through you because, right, because they're afraid to, to hear the, 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 spoken word of, of God directly, that comes actually later on in the verses after the Ten Commandments. It is then an interpretation that we're going to encounter in a minute, possibly a different interpretation, that that happens at some point in the middle of the giving of the Ten Commandments, either after the first commandment or after the second one. Okay, we're going to see that in a minute. So possibly this is a different line of interpretation, or maybe we could work it together uh, um, somehow. I think it's very significant that not only does the angel or the bear present itself, but that they go out of the way to say that oh, there are all of the subsections. You know, the aura of Torah is given at Sinai to emphasize. It contains all of these commandments and all of these punishments and all of these, right? Because lotir tzach is two words. <laughs> right. So it's not just lotir tzach. It's the whole masechet that goes with lotir tzach. Right. Well, I think it's definitely interesting that it does emphasize that, as you're saying, that um, you didn't just learn the utterance, right? We actually learned there 
all the detail that went along with it. That's right. What I want to ask, though, is what kind of difference do you see, like, you know, pedagogically uh, between learning about something, yeah, through some sort of intermediary, right, or learning of something directly like that? What do you think might, might have been the different kind of experience um, that are being described here between Rabbi Yochanan and, uh, and the rest of the sages? Are there any advantages to having it mitigated by somebody else or perhaps disadvantages to that? Um, I think that this has a lot to do with different learning styles, right? We ha- there are some of us who, you know, we learn by reading and some of us learn by hearing and some of us learn by doing And I think that this is opening the door for different ways of entering into the relationship with the Devarim, however they they are presented to us. I love the idea of the direct rather than the indirect, because whenever there's an intermediary, then it's just like translating one language to another. Every translation is also an interpretation. So if there's no intermediary, if there's a direct relationship then the only, inter- the only interpretation comes from within me. And then I'm able to understand it to whatever extent I can. Right. So there is something very attractive about the idea of a direct revelation, a direct uh, a learning of some sort of body of knowledge, right? All right, there are lots of hands up in the air here. So, so let's just collect a, f- a, few, a few quick responses, right? And then we're going to have to move on to the next section in a moment because it's going to make it even more interesting. So David, go ahead. Uh, yeah, so I, I think um, beyond the the modes of of learning that um, that Jennifer mentioned, I think different people also hear things differently from different sources. That is to say, there are some people that can be very intimidated by hearing something from a source of absolute authority versus from someone who may be closer to their own level that does not create that level of fear and awe that may allow them to listen or hear to the substance rather than be um, be distracted by the relationship. Right. So the thing perhaps more accessible about having uh, some sort of intermediary uh, do part of the work for us, it could be because it, it, that person or, or angel uh, feel more accessible to us than some sort of divine word directly. Um, or perhaps also you know, we have teachers in the world because they they do some work for us too. You know, they they're able to to also explain things and translate and bring things uh, make things perhaps more accessible. So there's also an advantage to to that for sure. The rabbi's position, the second position here in the midrash, works a little bit better as a reading of this verse, right? In other words, the way the rabbis are describing it, the utterance itself would come and stand and then would kiss each person, right? And that is what the verse is saying. Yishakeni minishikot piu. Let him kiss me from the kisses of, of, his, of his mouth, right? So it's almost imagining, right? The kisses are leaving the mouth of Kadosh Baruch Hu, of God, right? And coming and standing before each person, right? The commandment is a kiss, right? So also just to, to remind us how lovingly Right? The rabbis think of the commandments and how they see this as a, as a loving relationship between each and every one of the children of Israel and, uh, uh, and the Kodesh Baruch Hu and God. All right, so let's continue. 
This is from a little later on in Shir Hashim Rabbah. Rabbi Yudan, in the name of Rabbi Yudah Bar, uh, Rabbi Simon, Rabbi Yudah, and Rabbi Nehemiah. All right, what that means is they're the, the first rabbis are the ones that uh, bring this tradition. The last two names, Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Nehemiah, they are the two rabbis that have a dispute here later on. We see here the position of Rabbi Yehuda. We have later on the position of Rabbi Nehemiah, and they say similar things, and we may be less interested in contrasting their positions because what they have in common is also very interesting. So there's a dispute here that's brought between Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Nehemiah. Um, okay, so again, he's describing the moment of the giving of the Ten Commandments, okay, specifically the first commandment. And now we're going to see that notion um, that we talked about beforehand that after uh, after the first or Rashi on the, on the Torah says the second, but it's either the first or the second commandment. After some hearing some of the commandments directly, the Bnei Yisrael, the Israelites, ask Moshe to come in as an intermediary, okay? Because they get, they get a little panicked, a little frightened. So we're going to see that notion here. Rabbi Yehuda says, at the moment that Israel heard, I am the Lord your God, right? That is Anochi Hashem Elokech, right? That's the beginning of the Ten Commandments. Torah study became affixed in their heart. They would study and would not forget. Consider that for a second. They hear the first commandment and Torah study gets fixed in their hearts. Whatever they learn is retained. Okay, we'll come back to that later and think about the significance of that. They came later, okay? They came to Moses, to Moshe and said, Moshe, our master, you become an intermediary between us. As it is stated, you speak to us and we will hear, right? So that's the verse that comes, as we read the Ten Commandments, it actually comes later on, okay? Right? They say to Moshe, you speak with us and we'll hear, right? And let not God speak with us lest we die. That's the full verse. Okay, now, why shall we die? We are not interested in that. Uh, what benefit would there be in a hard demise? Okay, so the answer, they get, they get panicked from hearing God directly. They panic, they, they, they fear death, and they ask Moshe to come in as an intermediary. Okay. They reverted to studying and forgetting. The moment they did this, they reverted to studying and forgetting. They said, Okay, this section in the Midrash is not, is not perfectly clear. We'll consider the translation here for a second, and we'll see if it makes sense. Uh, they said, just as Moses is flesh and blood and transient, so too his teaching is transient. All right, that is one way to translate. I would suggest perhaps a different translation. I just I, I found this translation on Safaria, but I would suggest um, a different translation, which is just as uh, Moses is flesh and blood and passes. That's uh, the Hebrew. Passes, that is, I think the meaning is passes before God and without getting hurt. In other words, can withstand and withhold hearing God directly. So too, his pupils, yeah, his pupil may, may pass before God without getting hurt. I think that's another way of translating this line. Um, I don't know. In other words, this is some, the way it's translated here, it may be some sort of statement that they regret losing 
the Torah, forgetting the Torah. The way I'm suggesting is they come to realize that they actually we can go back to hearing God directly. If, if Moses can do it, we can do it too. Okay. Immediately they returned and came to Moses and said to him, Moses, our master, if only he would appear to us a second time, if only let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, right? So the, the Midrash here quotes once again, that verse that we that we quoted at the beginning, Yishakeni min shikot pihu, yeah, in the Hebrew, Levai Yishakeni min shikot pihu kmochaya, how we wish that we will once again, that we would once again be kissed, get, get the kisses of his mouth as we did uh, at first. If only Torah study will be affixed in our heart as it was. Okay, so we have here two stages. The first stage, they hear the first commandment, they hear the first commandment, they, this allows them, right, to study Torah and have it all just sit and be fixed in their heart. Okay. And they panic from hearing God directly and they ask Moses to be an intermediary. And once they do that, they enter the second stage where the revelation of the commandments is given through some sort of messenger. Yeah. Then they study, but they can't retain it as they did at the beginning. Third stage, they regret. And they ask to once again go back to direct revelation, to direct learning of the Torah. And Moses' response is, he said to them, this will not happen now, but it will occur in the future. As it is written, I will place my Torah within them and on their heart, I will write it. So Jeremiah, Yirmiyahu talks about the Torah being written directly upon the heart. So Moses answers, this is a prophecy for the future, days to come. It is not a possibility now. Okay. So it ends somewhat tragically, this, uh, this Midrash. That is, um, that is Rabbi Yehuda's version. Okay. Let's, let's continue and see Rabbi Nehemiah's version. Hold that in your, in your mind. I'm sure you have lots of thoughts. Okay, I know. Uh, we'll see one more version. We're not going to focus so much about the differences between them, but I think the way Rabbi Nehemiah described it will also give, um, we're going to see Rabbi Nehemiah's um, notion in order to kind of get some more, um, some more ideas and more, and more ways to think about this, okay? So, um, uh, le right, less in order to contrast them. So Rabbi Nehemiah said at the moment that Israel heard, you shall not have other gods before me. So this is the second commandment now. So Rabbi Huda talked about this happening after the first commandment. Rabbi Nehemiah talks about this panic and, right, and asking Moshe to come in as an intermediary happening after the second commandment of you shall not worship any other gods, okay? Right? So once they heard that commandment, the evil inclination, Yetel Hara, was uprooted from their heart. The moment that they heard, you shall not have any other, God, any other gods, they had no evil inclination. They had absolutely no will to do anything wrong. Right? They just did fulfill the commandments naturally, right? Out of absolutely, there was no internal struggle, you could say, right? No bad inclination to fight. Then they came to Moses and said, Moses, our master, you become an intermediary between us. As it is stated, you speak with us uh, and we will hear, okay, just as we read the first time, right? Why shall we die? What benefit would there be in our demise? 
immediately, once they asked Moses to be the intermediary, immediately the evil inclination returned to its place. The Tahara came back. So now the fulfillment of commandments, right, perhaps includes a struggle against your Yetzirah, your evil inclination. They returned and came to Moses and said to him, Moses, our master, if only he would appear to us a second time. If only let, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. He said to them, this will not happen now, but it will occur in the future as it is written. This time a verse from Ezekiel, I will remove the stone heart from your flesh. In days to come, we will not have a stone heart. We'll have right a lev basal, a heart of flesh. Right, and the heart of flesh is the heart that doesn't have the yetzer doesn't have the evil inclination. So we heard two descriptions of right revelation of the first commandments, either the first commandment or the second commandment. What the first version talking about Torah study, sitting in the heart, right, and being fixed there without forgetting, and the second version talking about the right fulfilling the commandments without any evil inclination. Um, and then the loss of these by the fear of direct revelation and the will to bring in an intermediary. Uh, and then in the third stage, a will to go back to that and being told that this is not quite a possibility nowadays, but it will be one day. You know, reading the first one, I had this thought and then reading through um, Rabbi Nehemiah's, it actually solidified for me what's going on here. I, and I'm reading, I think, differently than you are. Okay. Um, so it seems to me, again, bear with the thought, that the people are hearing these utterances directly from God. And they're blown away, right? And a little fearful and awestruck and, you know, the lightning and everything, right? And whether Yetzir Hara leaves or whether they can now learn without forgetting ever, right? This is a state of being that is not normal to the human condition, mm-hmm. right? So, so they come to Moshe and they say, we can't live like this. In either case, we, we can't live like this. And, you know, learning directly from God, this is what happens. So we learn from you. And I think in the first instance, when it says, you know, Moshe is transitory or passes before God. I, I, I kind of like the first transitory. So God is forever. And when I learn from this being who is forever, I learn it perfectly. I never forget it. When I learn from a human who, like me, is not going to be on this earth forever. Also, the teaching of the human because we're translating, we're figuring it out. And as we're teaching, I'm a teacher, uh, you know, we teach a little bit differently this time or to this group or what, right? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't stay forever. And the people come and say, we want it back. We want the other thing back. And Moshe says, Olamaba, not now. So what do you, so what do you take from that? I, I, I take from that, that as humans learn, as teachers and as students, it's not, it doesn't stay with us forever. The Yetzir Hara, no matter how hard we try, is there. And it's what makes us human. It's why we need the laws, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think these two blend beautifully together. 
And right. um, we are humans. We need that human experience. So that's what it's going to be until Alamaba. Right. Okay, great. Wonderful. Thanks. Yeah, I think so. There is something very human you're saying about uh, about forgetting. There's something very human about having internal struggles. Um, absolutely so, right? In a way, that is a message of the end of, the, of this Midrash saying it's not quite possible right now, right? Because that is not a normal human state. I, very good. I think that is a very, very important uh, and interesting point. Wonderful. We'll come back to that, I think, in a moment. Okay, so I want, I want us to think for a moment about these two, two modes that are described here in this in the second Midrash. Right, so one mode of revelation, right? Whether it's in Rabbi Huda's version or Rabbi Nehemiah's version, but in one mode of revelation, essentially, right, they have a direct revelation of the commandments, right? Which might remind us a bit of uh, the position we read beforehand of the utterance coming right and standing right before each person. And in this direct revelation, Torah study is right? It's not forgotten. It's fixed in their hearts. They have no evil inclination. They have no internal struggles, right? Now, what, what I'm wondering is, can you, do you possibly see uh, an internal, an inherent connection between those notions, between having some sort of direct revelation, right? Uh, perhaps learning something directly and this kind of description of, of not forgetting something, right? Uh, not having an internal struggle around it, what I'm wondering is, is the Midrash suggesting that these ideas are connected? And if so, how might that be? In other words, is it just a punishment or something like that, that once Moses comes in, Moshe comes in to, to teach them the Torah, they start forgetting or the evil inclination, right, enters the picture? Or are these inherently connected? You know, the, the Midrash saying, once you learn something through an intermediary, right, then it just has to be this way, right? It is impossible, right? It is only possible to have Torah fixed in your heart, right? And not have Yatahara when it is direct. And if so, why is that? Why might that be? When we were talking about the first um, Midrash, um, where the, you know, the utterances are walking themselves around to the people, um, is it that, and I'm going to liken that to the direct, right? That's that's the direct. Is that the experiential learning? Um, yes, there are different modes of learning, and everybody learns from all of them to different degrees, better or not. And truly, to learn well, one needs multiple modalities. Um, and even in the second one, where the utterances are coming directly to the people, once the people say, yes, I will learn, then the scholar appears, poof, and starts teaching, right? Uh, yeah, um, uh, at least in the, in the if, 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 text, if, I have that out there. The yeah, experience okay. becomes the educator, mm -hmm, right? right exactly. You learn from the experience. Right. You know, if you teach someone how to fish, they, they, they right? You know, right? If you mm -hmm. give somebody a fish, they eat for the day. Right. Um, and so... As with education, right? If you experience something, you learn it more deeply, you learn it better. So the experiential in the first case is the utterances be, or the experience becoming the teacher. And in the second case, it's God, God, self 
coming and being the teacher or it, that experience of the revelation directly from God is what's the education. And that's why it stays longer. Right. Anybody else want to add a bit like, why would that make it stay more in their heart? It is the experience that it, it's, it's a higher form of engagement. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So, right. So we can, we can imagine two scenes, right? We can imagine a classroom. It's the way it usually works in Israel. I think, uh, I think in the States, uh, uh, they've progressed a bit, but you know, in Israel, it's still somewhat uh, this old model of you know a teacher walking into a classroom and being like, "All right, write down what I say," and uh, and they start dictating um, and uh, and just you know lecturing and teaching, uh, and and that's about it, right? So uh, so that's one mode of of learning, right? In this in the midrash, that's Moshe, Moses coming along and saying, "Listen, right, you um, you have to keep Shabbat." Okay, so they so you can imagine the children of Israel being like, uh, okay, right. <laughs> um, but what would it look like, right, to have a different experience of the commandment, right, where it is Shabbat, <laughs> right? If, if you can imagine such a thing, Shabbat standing before you and being right, hello, I am Shabbat, this is what I'm about. And, and you experience that thing directly, right? Well, perhaps having a direct experience of something, right, would make you inherently uh, relate to that thing differently, right? You would, you would understand what it's about. I mean, like, how, challenge it, how challenging might it be to try and understand, right, Jewish dietary laws around, uh, right, kashrut, uh, why is it forbidden to to cook uh, right meat and milk together? Right. So we can hear different explanations from different people, but you, we may not fully be satisfied ever with with the explanations. Had we been there at the moment of revelation, right, and learned it hands on, right, directly, perhaps we would understand this this law, right, from from within. No one. For most people, right, you don't really need to convince them that uh, do not murder, right? Like most human beings understand that notion because there's something inside of us that just kind of can relate to that. We, we understand, we see the inherent uh, problem. We usually do not need to be convinced of that except for some crazy people, right, that are quite unusual. Um, but most people do not need to be convinced of that. They don't have too many internal struggles around that notion, okay? And, uh, and they probably won't forget it either at any point uh, in their lives, okay? Because we can relate to that. And I think what's, what's interesting about this Midrash is that when the, when the children of Israel come to Moshe, right, and they ask him to go back to that initial state, Right, then they say they quote that verse. Let him kiss us, right, uh, of the kisses of his mouth. Um, in, in other words, that initial state of learning of the Torah directly, right, in a way that it is fixed in their hearts and they have no internal struggle around it, is described as a romantic, kind of a direct romantic relationship uh, with God. 
So it is a it is characteristic of having intimacy with God and the commandments, right? And so I think we basically have here two models of how to relate to God and the commandments, right? One model, I think one that we experience many times, which is a model of some distance, right? There is God, which is not, which may not be very accessible to us. Um, there are the commandments, which we learn about through some sort of intermediary, whether it is a written text, whether, whether uh, it is a teacher of ours, right? And we have to, you know, we have to, we have to receive information about it. We can do our best to internalize that information, right? And try and, uh, and find things that, that, that speak to us and, uh, and really, right? And find ways to connect to that, uh, to that law or teaching. That will always be something indirect, something that we will learn about. And as all things that we kind of learn about, we may question it at some point in our lives, right? We may have an inclination to not fulfill it exactly. Uh, and we may, right, we may forget the learnings uh, because, you know, we heard about it. There was something indirect about it. That's one model. The model that this Midrash is suggesting is that despite that being our, right, our modus operandi, right? There are regular, our regular way of, of relating to the law, uh, perhaps, and, and the teachings of the Torah. Uh, there once was, at least at the beginning of the giving of the Ten Commandments, right, a moment. And I think it's very important that the Midrash describes this as something that happened, at least for one commandment, which I think is to say, this was a possibility, something that actually happened once that people experience the teachings of the Torah directly. And that mode is a mode where instead of learning about something, you just intuit it perhaps, right? You have a direct experience of that, right? No one has to convince you that there is a God because, right? You've heard, I am the Lord, your God. Right, so so you don't have to go through philosophical discussions of if it makes sense that there might be a god or not, right? But rather, there was something that you heard directly. When if you ever hear, right? I can't say this from experience, but I imagine that if you ever hear, uh, right, I am the Lord your God, I think you're not going to forget that, <laughs> right? If that's something that you ever experience in your lifetime, I don't think you're going to forget it. And what would it be like to just know exactly what not eating meat and milk together is about, right? What not violating Shabbat uh, is about. What what's the inherent truth about that? Not having been not right. Not that you need to learn about it, but that this is something that you have experienced directly. Okay, so the Midrash is saying this is something that happened once. It was a possibility. And when that is the case, right, then it's perhaps like, right, there, there's no evil inclination. What does that mean? Right? Perhaps the fulfillment of these commandments, of these teachings, was almost second nature, right? Because you don't need to be convinced about it. You don't need to be convinced, need to eat, because it is your nature to eat, right? So uh, you have no will right not to right to go a day without that perhaps so that is a very interesting way of thinking of 
right? Uh, being in a relationship with God in the commandments. And while Moses says that this is not a possibility, it is not a human possibility. Now it is something that will happen in the future. Uh, I would ask, what do you think he means by that? So, and I think there are possibly two ways to understand that statement of Moses at the end. I think some might read that as being a very tragic ending, saying, sorry, this is not possible. You know, one day when the Messiah comes, all right. Okay, but it's not something that is possible at all nowadays. Okay, but I think another way to read what Moses is saying is, this is not a full possibility for us now, but it will happen in the future. One way to read that is, it is something that it is possible to aspire to, right? You're never going to get there. Right? When we read about the visions of, of days to come, does that mean that we have to be idle nowadays and just wait till the Messiah comes and brings that? Or does that mean these are things that we should aspire to nowadays as well, even if we don't ever, right? Even if we can't fully fulfill them ourselves. Um, so perhaps Moses is suggesting this is something that you can aspire to. You may never get there fully. Right. And I think, right, David's asking a very interesting question. What can we do to make it a reality? I think that's a very interesting question. Um, and what I imagine is that it would be interesting to try and study, right, Torah in a way that you try and imagine at least what it would have been like to, right, to experience this firsthand, right, first kind of straight on. Um, and again, it may not be possible because everything we receive nowadays is through some sort of channel. It would be interesting to try and go back, at least aspire in our learning, right? To go back to thinking of the teaching and commandments as something that we could have experienced direct, directly on, right? Directly. Um, and that that may also influence how we relate to these, to these teachings. Can we internalize them in a way that we don't find a deep struggle around them, right? Can we internalize the logic of do not steal to the point where we never feel tempted to steal because we, we really understand deeply what that's about, okay? So perhaps that's a way to, to go about it. It's obviously a middle ground. It's not really what that first uh, mode is describing. But what I'm suggesting is perhaps Moses' Moses's answer that it is a possibility in the future is saying you could aspire to this, right? And there is value in that because one day you will return to that. Our producers for this episode are Sam Greenberg and Jeremy Tabak. Thank you to Nadav Remez for editing this episode with additional editing by David Chabinsky. I'm your host, Rabbi Avi Killip. It's been a pleasure to learn with you.